scripture reading this morning comes from the beginning of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 and verses 1 to 6. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who'd been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted in knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter into royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, and all were from the tribe of Judah. One of my best friends, who used to be a mafia leader, is getting baptized this afternoon. And we've been walking together on this journey of faith with Bible studies and all sorts of other meetings. And we are just overjoyed to realize that he made this decision to get baptized today. I would like us to concentrate on this interesting topic, living against the wave. Let me start with a question. How would you react if a country like North Korea would invade England and would take all your young people into their country to learn their language, to be communists like North Koreans and then come back to England and rule over this country. How many of Hamel Hampstead young people would return from North Korea with the same Adventist faith they still have in their hearts today. As parents and grandparents, would you consider that they have received a strong enough education, a strong enough instruction in faith that they can be taken anywhere in the world and they would be faithful to God they would be faithful to our truth and they would stay Adventists even in that kind of world. Now, 
Let me tell you that hopefully this is not going to happen and let's hope that North Korea is not targeting England. But actually there is something even more dangerous lying behind the scenes. I call it the new Babylonian Empire. But our young people are taken to the universities and high schools and, and colleges of this country. And I can testify that many of our young people, by the time they graduate their, their college or university, they lose faith. And they are not Adventists any longer after they have the diploma in their hand. So that is even more dangerous because subtile, their faith is taken away and it's like a brainwash. When their faith is ridiculed and they think that the new science, what they learn, can take over the science of God, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which has been implanted in their lives. As a church, I believe we are responsible for our young people that whatever happens in the future, and just imagine, very soon, we are not going to be that popular. We are not going to be taken that, that nicely. When you stick to the Bible, when you stick to the principles, God has implanted into your heart, you are not going to be very much liked. And then what is going to happen? As we have read the scripture reading, and thank you very much for reading from the New Living Translation, in the scripture reading, I would like us to stop just here and there and just reconsider what is happening. As an introduction, I would like to tell you that lately, I am devoting myself to studying the prophecies. And this is a kind of an introduction to a prophetic book like Daniel. And my firm belief is that our prophecy interpretation should not be only a historical interpretation, a history lesson, what we are giving to people. I truly believe that besides a history, a history lesson, God wanted us to learn something spiritual, which would strengthen our faith and would make us steadfast in the last days. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And I would like to pay attention to the second verse. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Who? The book of Daniel is not about Daniel as the book of Acts is not about Paul. These books are about God. God delivers the king of Judah into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. It goes on. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. What happens here? It's not only a battle between two 
armies. It's a battle of ideologies as well. Whose God is stronger? Is God of Babylon stronger than God of Judah? Certainly not. Because the book of Daniel is telling us that actually God is the main character of the whole story and God decides the battle. And God says this time something else is going to happen than in the times of Isaiah. I'm not going to deliver my people. I am going to send my people to Babylon. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Let me stop here. You don't need to be stupid in order to be a Christian. And if you are smart, it does not mean that you need to deny God. You can be a smart Christian. You can be a smart believer in God. And these two do not contrast each other. So I would urge our young people to learn as much as they can. Even sciences which are not 100% in harmony with the Bible. Then we are going to know even more than those people who are actually believe in those things. And knowing more would mean that we would know better to witness about Jesus Christ and his truth. And this is what happens with Daniel and his friends. And then, of course, you can see he was to teach them the language, the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What a story. After a short introduction, I'm going to ask two questions. What is in a name and what is in a principle? And let's learn together. It is 605 BC and the members of the royal family from Judah were deported into Babylon. How could God permit this? That is our question. Look at Jeremiah 27.6. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. By the way, I am expecting to see Nebuchadnezzar the king in God's kingdom after Jesus comes. When you read the spiritual line in the story of Daniel in his book, you can see how this king goes through a very hard path of being converted and worshipping God. God of the universe, God of Daniel. God calls him his servant. How would you feel if 
Osama bin Laden would be alive today and you would receive a prophetic message saying, and I'm going to deliver England into the hands of my servant Osama bin Laden. Because to the Judah, Judah, to the people of Judah, Babylonians were at least as terrorists as we actually see the Islamic State today. They were not regarded as very spiritual people. And they are coming and invade Jerusalem. Look at Jeremiah 29:10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. God is sending a spiritual message to Judah saying, Guys, I have placed you into the most wonderful spot of the map of the earth. That every route, every important route would cross your country and people would know that there is one single living God in heaven and you failed this mission. Therefore, let me whisper into your ears, I'm going to send you into a mission trip. 70 years mission trip. I like mission trips. I have been to many mission trips. And let me tell you, a mission trip is changing you. And hopefully it's changing those people you are doing mission to. But this time the Lord decided, okay, I'm going to send my people into Babylon because I want those people to know there is one single living God in heaven. The question is, did Daniel and his friends prepare for this invasion? They were studying the scriptures. They were around 16, 17 year old. And at that time, they knew most of the scriptures of the Old Testament written by that time by heart. They knew about the prophecies of Jeremiah. And they were actually expecting the Babylonian troops to appear around Jerusalem. And let me tell you, they were not putting together a prayer group saying, Oh Lord, please save Jerusalem. No. Because God did not promise to save Jerusalem. God has promised to take them to a mission trip. By the time the troops of Babylon arrived to Jerusalem, Daniel and his three friends were ready packed and ready for the mission trip. And according to the studies I've done on the book of Daniel, if by any miracle the Judean army would have won this war, like in the times of Isaiah, when the Assyrians were coming, Daniel and his friends were deeply disappointed and most probably they would have become atheists because the promise of God did not fulfill in their time. You see why it is so important to study the scriptures? Just to see how God is fulfilling his promises in front of our own eyes. They were ready for this mission trip. And there is no complaint whatsoever from Daniel and his friend's side. They are ready to be taken. God is sending them to Babylon. And I tell you, that this is part of the character God has formed 
in these four young people and most probably others as well. Do we see providence in bad happenings too? I see some brothers and sisters who might be coming from Africa or, or descending from, from African roots. I read this story from an African book. A king really liked going hunting and he always took his best friend with him. But his best friend was a very interesting guy. Whatever happened, good or bad, this guy always just shouted in the air saying, Wow, that's good, hallelujah. Whatever happened, he said, that's good, hallelujah. So they went hunting this time. And this friend was preparing the gun for the king. And he obviously has done something wrong. Because as the king took the gun, the gun fired itself and blew the thumb of the king off. The friend assessed the situation, looked at the king and said, That's good, hallelujah. The king got so upset on him that he put him into jail. How could you say that, you know, blowing off my, my thumb is a good thing? So you are not my friend any longer. Later on, the king went hunting alone. And he was caught by a tribe of cannibals. And the cannibals were preparing the king for an evening, evening meal. They were quite superstitious. And they examined very thoroughly the king's body, realizing that one time was missing and they said we would not eat anything which is not whole which is not 100% they released the king to go home and on the way home the king said well my friend was right it was good that my thumb was blown off so let me go and rescue him from the prison so he went and he rescued him from the prison and the king started apologizing and he said, Oh, I was so bad, you know, bad decision. I put you into prison. No, king, you don't need to apologize at all. It was good that you put me in prison. How can you say that? He said, You know what, king? If you didn't put me in prison, you most probably took me to this last hunting trip as well. And I'm not missing anything, so the cannibals would have eaten me. So it was good that you put me in prison. To see the providence of God behind every bad happening is a root of faith and hope that God actually is greater than any happening in our life. And then he can bring out something good of any bad happening. So the first question, what is in a name? Studying the book of Daniel, of course, you know, I went into all sorts of sources and there are wonderful books about this story relating us the trip from Jerusalem to Babylon, arriving and then enrolling these young people into the highest university of the Babylonian Empire. And let us remember that the Babylonian Empire is a world-leading empire at that time. And Daniel and his friends need to introduce themselves to the other students of the same class. And other students of the, of the class introduce themselves to Daniel and his friends. Imagine that there were three Babylonian university students, Adapha, 
who got his name from the first mortal, son of Enlil and Ninlil, Ninurta, the lord of the earth, a Sumerian god, and Nabu, the son of Marduk. And they are introducing themselves, saying, this is who I am, and this is the meaning of my name. Now, who are you guys? And Daniel and his friends are starting introducing themselves. Daniel says, my name is Daniel, and the meaning of my name is God is my judge, the Lord of my life. Imagine this introduction. And suddenly, Adapa, one of the Babylonian students, says, Oh, that's tough. You have quite a narrow-minded God. How can you serve a God who is always after you, and when you make a mistake, this God is punishing you right away and judging you? And Daniel says, No, no, no. God is the Lord and the guide of my life. He is the one, he is the GPS to me who is guiding me through all sorts of ramifications of life. And Adapa says, well, that sounds legalistic to me. Then Azariah, Daniel's friend, comes and says, you know what? I watched you when you played your instrument, the lyre, that sometimes you looked into the tablets of clay the notes, actually Babylonians had musical notes already at that time. And can I ask you, why did you do that? Oh, Adapa said, I looked into the notes that I would accurately follow the music and that improved my performance. And Azariah says, that's exactly with us. We look into God's commandments. We look into God's instructions. And then our life is becoming more a following of our God. We are serving God as human beings, not as robots. And I imagine that they were reciting Psalm 96. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established and it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in the truth. What an amazing psalm. And suddenly Daniel is testifying about God, the only living God in heaven. Then Hananiah introduces himself saying, My name is Hananiah and the meaning of it is God shows mercy and grace. What do you mean by grace? Let me tell you, most of the world religions do not have this notion of grace or mercy of God. People following other religions, they are afraid of their God. They don't love their God because they think that their God is judging and cruel. And then 
Those who believe in the living God, they introduce this God saying, our God is merciful, graceful. He is a Lord of love. What is then grace? The Babylonians were asking. Grace is unmerited generosity and love. When God gives you exactly what you do not deserve. Imagine this. If I sinned, I deserve death. But through God's mercy in Jesus Christ, rescued me from death and gave me a second chance. So the Babylonians are asking, Oh, so Daniel is serving the judge God and you serve the grace God. Is that true? And these young people are saying, No. We are talking about the same God. The same God has different and various characteristics and we are just enjoying our, the presence of our own God. There is only one single God you can serve. As a human being, some uh, sometimes can be firm and merciful. It, it is like with God. Our name represents the nuance of God's character. Then Azariah comes and says, My name is the Lord Helps. Hmm. You can see the Babylonians laughing. Ha ha ha! We saw that in Jerusalem, how much your God helped you. There was no help from your God. Our gods have overtaken your God. We took even parts of the worship objects from your temple. They are here in our temples. So we won this war. And then Azariah says, My parents gave me this name for the many help they received from God. God's word saved my life, actually. The prophecies of Jeremiah helped me to understand what was happening in Jerusalem. And yes, God was there and sent us here to Babylon. Praise be to his name. And Nabu interrupts and says, Oh, this doesn't sound very scientific to me. I'm a scientist. And let me tell you, Nabu made me to achieve all my diplomas and all my achievements. And uh, Ishtar gave me my beautiful girlfriend. So those are my gods. And Azariah says, how do you know your girlfriend loves you? At any single argument you say, I can come with a counter-argument. And in this moment, Mishael comes and says, let me introduce myself. My name is, who is like God? And he makes a suggestion. You know, as it is coming from my name, you need to judge our God of our character, of our behavior. So that's why we are here in Babylon. They can establish whether Nabu and his girlfriend love each other only by observing them. And when you observe a community, I tell you, pretty much in a couple of minutes, whether you love each other or not. So Mishael suggests that the others would observe the life of these four Hebrew students. 
only after that they would draw conclusions. Question. Our young people who are sent now to any university in England, do they have their name like that? You know, I wish we could actually embed God's name in our own name, that whenever we introduce ourselves, we would actually testify about the only living God we serve. The Babylonian Empire were very cruel to these young men. They changed their names because that is the first step in order to take away someone's identity. Daniel receives a new name, Belteshazzar, which means may Baal, the high god of Babylon, protect your life. Hananiah receives a new name, Shadrach, the command of Aku, another god. Azariah is named Abednego, the servant of Nabu. And Mishael, and they were the most cruel to Mishael, receives a new name, Meshach, which means who is like Aku. His name was who is like God, and now his name is who is like Aku. What about our name? Do we know how to testify to people who do not yet know Jesus Christ? I was invited into a school, into a high school, to give a kind of a motivational speech to students, A-level students who were just about to finish A-levels. And was invited into the um, office of the head teacher of this school. And this head teacher looked at me and said, you can talk to our students under two conditions. You never mention God to them, and you never talk about politics to them. I said, deal. Can I talk to them about my boss, whom I serve? He said, yeah, no problem. You know, you talk about your boss anytime. And I said, I don't deal with politics only to the extent that I'm praying for the politicians of the country I, I live in. So that's fine. Then you go. Imagine about 80 students coming to this event. And I looked at them and said, you cannot be smart people without knowing the God of the Bible, who actually is my boss. So from now on, I'm talking about my boss to you. And you know, the message of my boss to you can be summarized in five minutes. You could see on their faces, how can you summarize the Bible in five minutes? You know, this guy is just talking nonsense to us. And I said, okay, I'm going to demonstrate this to you. Is there anyone among you who has not done their homework once or twice in their lifetime? All hands went up and said, is there anyone who hasn't done his or her homework for today? A few hands went up. And there was a girl who, who said, you know, hey, I haven't done my homework for today for any of the classes. 
I said, what's your name? And she said, Johanna. I said, Johanna, come up here. So she comes up and she's proud that she hasn't done her homework. And I said, your director, the, the head teacher of the school said that I have full control of the class during that one hour. So, because you haven't done your homework for today, with the authority of your head teacher, I'm punishing you. Now everybody got silent. And I said, your punishment is that you need to do 200 push-ups in front of your colleagues, A-level students. She was not smiling. She looked at me and said, Sir, I can't do even one push-up properly. And I said, I haven't finished yet. I looked at the audience and I said, Guys, how many of you can do 20 push-ups? You know, in my time when I was 17, 18, we've done 50, 60. But in today's age, when uh, the exercise of our young people is this, so you cannot pretend that they would do 50 or 60. So I said this 20. And then hands went up and I was counting nine young men saying they can do 20. I said, one more. I need one more. And a girl said, sir, I can do 22. And you had these 10 people lined up. And I asked them a question. Would you do 20 push-ups on behalf of Johanna and do this punishment on her behalf? And they all agreed. And I said, Johanna, you are now counting. They went down and Johanna started counting from 1 to 20. And when they'd done the 20... Without saying any word, I went to my bag and I pulled out a big bag of Cadbury chocolate. And I said, my daughter is a chocolate expert. And according to her, this is the best chocolate of the world. So I went to Johanna and I presented this saying, Johanna, you have done 200 push-ups in record time. No one has done this in, as far as I know, that in, in that a very short amount of time and you have completed your punishment therefore I give you this gift she looked at me and said I, I haven't done anything not even one single push up and I said they've done it on your behalf so it's you who deserve this gift she took the bag of Cadbury's she opened it up immediately and I asked her, what did you do? Why don't you take it home? You can hide it behind your closet and just eat it for yourself. I said, sir, they've done it. So I need to somehow express my, my gratitude to them. So she started sharing the chocolate. And I said, guys, that's the message of my boss. We haven't done our homework. And my boss has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And he did the push-ups on the Calvary of that cross of Golgotha. And he died of that push-ups. Then he rose again. And he presented us with the gift of eternal life. And now the question is, what are you doing with it? Are you sharing it or are you keeping it for yourself? You see, that's the message of the Bible. How many times are we able to tell this message? And the last question is, 
What is in the principle? You see the Babylonian education system, a three-year course, a change of language, a kind of a brainwash, new philosophy, new administration, and those who pass with high grades, they are going to be governors of the new empire. I would like to suggest that in the book of Daniel, God is the most important. Not Daniel, not his friends, but God. Look at this. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel says, I have an identity. I believe that there is only one single God. And I do not want to depend on any other gods. Not even the king of the Babylonian Empire. So that, therefore, I'm not going to eat. Verse 9. Now God, and I would like to underline this. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. It was not Daniel's beauty. It was not Daniel's fantastic character. No, it was God who actually had caused the official to show favor and sympathy. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any other young man your age? The king would then have my head because of you. We need to learn endurance. That for the case of God, we need to take some blows. First Peter Chapter 3, verses 14 to 16 says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And Daniel perseveres. Daniel goes to the God and says, Can we have only fruits and vegetables? We would like to drink only water. Then please compare our appearance to the others. And he consented. I purposely quote here King James. The King James Version of the Bible actually, in this case, is much closer to the original meaning than any other translation. And look at verse 15. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which they did eat the portion of the king's meat. Ladies, let me ask you a question. If you want to become thinner, what kind of diet are you following? Fruits, vegetables, water. Men, if you want to be larger size, what kind of diet should you follow? Dairy products, meat, and we could, we could list all the other. Can you see what happens here? Instead of Daniel and his friends losing weight, 
they appear more beautiful and even fatter, bigger size than all the other guys. Why? Because that was what they were looking for. And God performs a miracle here, saying, I am going to bless these guys, and I'm going to make them people who others would pay attention to. What principles did they follow? They don't eat from the food of the king of Babylon because eating was impregnated in the Babylonian religion. It was part of the idolatry practiced. If you ate from the Babylonian table, meant that you depended on the Babylonian gods and the king. By not eating the food of the king, they prove that God is alive and they depend only on him. And even when you read the words, fruits and vegetables and water, those are taken from the Genesis account when God actually created all those things and gave it to humankind to be eaten. They wanted to eat at the table of the Creator. And they opposed the wave of idolatry. So what is then the result? To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. It was not the food who actually gave them wisdom. It was God. God is the main character in the story. Let me tell you, young ladies, if you want to win a beauty contest in this country, it's not enough to eat vegetables and fruits and drink water. If you want to go to Cambridge or Oxford University, it's not enough to eat vegetables and fruits and drink water. Something needs to go into our head as well in order to be wiser and more knowledgeable. We need to study, we need to pray, and most of all, we need God's blessings. Daniel and his friends are faithful to God. They represent their God, their faith, and their convictions. The secret of this outcome is not in the food, my brothers and sisters. The secret of success is in God, and also in the representation of this God. Two trials. The first one. In Daniel chapter 3, the king makes a huge statue of gold and asks everyone, the representatives of different regions of the Babylonian Empire, to come. And when they hear the sound of music, to bow down in front of this idol. There are three young men who do not bow. When everybody in the whole world is bowing down, these three guys are standing. We need these young people in our age as well who would stand no matter what. Stand for God, the living God only. And these young people say, O King, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. No matter what. And of course, Jesus appeared to them in the furnace and saved their lives. That's the first instance when you see Jesus, the Son of God, in the Old Testament, appearing as the Son of God. What, what a testimony. 
The second test is coming when Daniel is 87 years old. And this is in the Medo-Persian Empire. And there was a decree that no one would pray, no one would ask anything, but only from the king. And those who actually went against this, they were put into the lion's den. What did Daniel do? He said, okay, then I'm going to invent silent prayer. God can hear even a silent prayer. No. Daniel opens his window and he prays towards Jerusalem. And he's caught and he's put into the lion's den. In my childhood, every single time when I heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den, I imagined that God has sent the Schwarzenegger type of angel. And he was struggling all night to keep the mouth of the lion shut and Daniel was trembling in the corner until the dawn of the second day. But then I realized it, not, it is not exactly so. Yes, God has sent his angel and through his angel God was present in that lion's den. Let me ask you a question. Was there any time when mankind and lions were in peaceful living together? When was that? In the Eden. So God's presence creates a kind of an Edenic setting in the lion's den, and Daniel is calm. In the morning, the king, Darius, is coming. What is he calling out? Look at this. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel was 87 years old. And King Darius is not calling out Belteshazzar, are you still alive? No. What is the name King Darius is calling? Is Daniel. Because Daniel was able to keep his name until the end of his life saying, My Lord, my God is my judge. I follow him. And then Daniel answers, King Live forever. Yes, my God was able to rescue me. Like Daniel saying, you know what, king? I'm here in your empire that you would live forever. Are you here in this kingdom, United Kingdom, that people, your neighbors, your friends would live forever? Is it possible to go against the wave? My son and I, we love football. I've been sometimes a professional football player. And we are still watching some football events together. And that's a great experience to us. A couple of years ago, we were watching the Golden Globe Award. Uh, it was Golden Ball Award, you know, football golden ball. And Messi just won, I think, the fifth at that time. But during that 
time, they awarded also the Pushkash Award. And this is awarded to people who are scoring the nicest, the best goal in that season. And here it was. A young man from Brazil, Venden Lira. He came. He took this award, deeply moved, went to the microphone and said this. And my son said at that time, Daddy, I believe that at least two billion people are watching now. I want to thank God, first of all, for this award. Secondly, I want to thank my family. And thirdly, to my club and the supporters. Then he looked at the audience and said, you don't believe what I feel at the moment. I have a message for you. You are the most famous football players and coaches of the whole world. I know you through the video games I was playing in my home. And now I can see you face to face. And now the message. It's coming from the Bible. David and Goliath. Do you know when David went out with his sling, with those little stones to kill Goliath, what the supporters were crying and shouting at him? David, David, look at him, how huge, how big this guy is. What do you think? And instead of him being intimidated, he might have turned back and said, Yes, God made him that big that I won't miss it. And he said, Guys, I believe that God had made the football gate, the football goal, seven and a half meters wide. That big that I didn't miss it. That's why I scored the best goal of the season. It is possible. It is possible to testify about God, the living God in heaven. So I leave you with this thought. Are you ready? If the new Babylonian empire is taking you or your children to brainwash them, are you ready to go against the wave? <laughs>